your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 537 of the Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Ross Levitan on the outskirts of enemy territory in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Alongside Brandon Pillar up in the Blue Mountains on a game day for the Ottawa Senators. They are in Boston taking on a Bruins team that is without David Pasternak. But the Sens could be out a top six forward of their own. It was a big night for the Belleville Senators last night as Gus gets a 25-save shutout in a 1-0 win. But the out-of-town scoreboard didn't do the Sens any favors. No, it didn't. Lots to get into from that standpoint. And an article we knew was coming eventually dropped this morning. We will touch on the life and legacy of Eugene Melnick after reading, what, 10,000 words from The Athletic? So stay tuned for all that and more. This is the Locked On Senators Podcast, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Senators your first listen on this Thursday, April 14th in Pilsy. There is simply never a dull day around your Ottawa Senators. Yeah, there really isn't. And uh, for those of you not uh, online yet today, The Athletic uh, dropped an article talking about uh, Eugene Melnick and uh, a lot of uh, the problems that he had as an owner and as a person as well, uh, revealing a lot of statements from former employees, uh, diving into some pretty brutal email exchanges, people not getting paid on time. There was a lot of issues here. And sure, it's very close after Eugene Melnick's death, but that doesn't take away from the fact that these are all very real stories. And it's not just one, two, or three. There are a lot of them from all aspects of Eugene's life that uh, really shed life on what was going on behind the scenes. A lot of these things, Ross, we were aware of I just don't think we knew how bad it was or how things unfolded what you mean like pretending to make a stick save on a tyrannical um, speech after his team lost game five of the Stanley Cup finals I didn't know that yeah that's the thing but we knew that Brian Murray had to multiple times stop Eugene Melnick from going into the dressing rooms because Well, there's examples of what happened when he did make it into the dressing room and it didn't go well. So that kind of shows you why Brian Murray was such a crucial part of this organization. Because as it's always famously said, a general manager managing down is a small part of it. A big part of it is managing up. There's some themes I want to get into from this article. We're not going to stick on it for too, too long. And I would recommend everyone going to read this. The timing, though... Ian didn't give us even a clue that this was coming when we chatted with him yesterday. So it's been under lock and key. Katie Strang has done a lot of the investigative journalism for this one, going back, talking to employees. We first heard about this article in about 2018, I want to say. Years ago. Right when the Hoffman-Hammond situation unfolded, it started, there were rumors that like, oh, there's 
there's former employees, there's current employees that are talking with Katie Strang right now, and there's going to be a bombshell article eventually. Now, that's where this question comes in, the timing of it. Now, Eugene Melnick passed two weeks ago. Is there ever a right time to release a piece like this? We put up a poll on Twitter at Send Central before I read those results. Pilsy, what was your impression of the timing of this article? To answer your question, I would say no. There's never like, like it's not like they were sitting on that article being like, okay, and now is the perfect time uh, to drop it, right? It was, I think it was good at least that they didn't release this while he was terminally ill and kind of in his in his final days and uh, obviously feeling really terrible and uh, his health was declining. So I'm, I'm glad they didn't release it then. However, personally, I probably would have waited for the off season just for things to kind of have settled and, uh, and you know, maybe a little more time passing, but th- there's no right time. And I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of uh, confinements they were under with the athletic, if they had uh, deadlines or anything like that. So it's really tough to say what would have been the most appropriate time here. And the ultimate kind of whoa moment for me is like, what would have happened if this was released and Eugene Mellick was still at the helm, knowing what we know from that article, Mm -hmm. the way he handled the day-to-day business operations of the Ottawa Senators, there would absolutely be litigation as I believe he had more than 15 active lawsuits pending at the time of his death. And kind of the, the most chilling thing you read was from uh, Nicholas Ratchkowski, or I mispronounced his last name. He was one of the many CEOs who came by through that mid to late 20, uh, 2015 to 2020 area where things were really at their absolute worst in terms of of the relationship between the owner and the team. And he put out in his post saying, or maybe this was in a conversation, but I know that he put up a post uh, after Eugene's passing. Now, when he said, do you have an exit strategy of all this? Like clearly it's not going well. And he said, the exit strategy is my coffin. I thought that was pretty disconcerting, or concerning rather, especially for, a guy with a young family, right? We talk about his daughters and that was a big part of what we focused on during the aftermath of his death. Like two young daughters lost their father. That's absolutely horrible. But for people who are saying, how how dare his daughters read about this? This is so unacceptable. Like there were homophobic emails sent just roasting people who were trying to make a campaign surrounding about love. Like yep. the... That really struck a chord with me. That I thought that was completely. It's not surprising though, knowing the the way the senators handled the the aftermath of the George George Floyd protests uh, after George Floyd was killed in Minnesota, and the senators were the last team to put out a statement. They alienated their only black player, Anthony Duclair. No surprise, he got out of town as quick as he could afterwards. So, the simple solution is if you don't want your daughters knowing about what kind of guy you are, don't be that kind of guy. Be be a role model. Because that's kind of the pushback that we're seeing is, wow, like Katie, wow, Ian, you guys, this is horrible role modeling for, for your children, seeing you just pile on a dead person. Well, they're not piling on. They're reporting facts, which is what I think gets blurred the lines a little bit. And we see an extreme example in the Ottawa Sun the other way. I, yeah. I don't think that that's journalism by any stretch. Now, everyone needs that. It's a direct 
information line to the organization. You have to respect it for what it is, but that's not everyone. You're not supposed to be friends with the people you cover, whether it's politics, sports. That's day one broadcasting school. I'm not trying to be your friend. Now, the only kind of uh, asterisk you put on there is in a hockey organization, especially, I guess politics is different because they're public servants. They can cut off your access to the team and then it's hard to cover the team. So you have to walk on eggshells to a certain extent. But I respect that the athletic here was just like, no, we have multiple people coming for it. How many people do you think they talked to for that? I would say hundreds. I would say hundreds. Yeah. Over the past five years, putting this out. This is not a hit piece. A hit piece is where you come at someone with things that they don't know about. This is just depicting the life and times of, and I love the, the, the headline, the Eugene Melnick era. Hopeful, then bizarre, and tyrannical. I think that that sums it up pretty well. And it's things that everyone knew on the outside. They just didn't know the actual details of each story. And there's stories that they didn't even put in there that are public knowledge. The cruise where he's trying to get his whole money back because he didn't like the route that the the sailors took. And it's just never ending. So I'm personally of the standpoint that the timing was fine. Again, sure. If you wait till the off season, why not? But in terms of other journalistic pieces you put it out when it's ready so if it happened to be ready today then it's ready today I mean I I just keep coming back to if you don't want your behavior to be looked down on then hold yourself accountable to a higher standard where people can't look down on how you were I mean that's kind of where it comes from me and I think an interesting thing for me was learning I, I didn't really know Eugene Melnick's path to buying the Senators right like For me, my knowledge of Eugene Melnick starts when he bought the team and going from there. But in this article, they talk about how when he was 23, he was dealing with massive uh, companies. He sold uh, uh, one of his companies for like eight million, and then he goes and then he goes on to buy another one. And then in within 10 years, he's a, a billionaire. Like being a billionaire at that age and the rise to the top like that. And then what happens is. Mo money, mo problems, right? And lawsuits start happening. People, uh, you're not taking care of everything the way you should. And as quickly as you fall or climb, you fall quickly too. And then his divorce happens. Then his health starts declining. So everything is just crumbling. And when you're a person of, I don't want to say just a filthy rich person, but uh, basically, like when you're a billionaire, you're top very, fifty richest Canadians at yeah, the time. You're very accustomed to getting things done exactly how you want, even if what you want isn't right. It doesn't matter that's not right. Like we like it uh, laid out in that article when Eugene Melnick would email employees at two thirty in the morning and they didn't respond immediately. He's like, what? What the heck? Like, do you not see no, I'm cer- Eugene? Certain, certainly wasn't heck that he was yeah, saying. Yeah, but he's like, do you not understand? I'm Eugene Melnick and you need to get back to me right away. And so I think the fact that everything crumbled, it was him lashing out against the world, being like, how come I don't get things exactly the way I'm used to now? And yeah. how come people are mad at me for these things that I, I'm used to doing that weren't an issue before when when I had everything. And I think that's where the fall really starts. And then when you're a public figure like this, and we talked about it in the other episode, there's not a lot of teams that are owned by one guy. Like there's not a lot of these kind of tyrant billionaires still running around doing this. And 
you you get the good with the bad with that. And with Eugene Melnick, it was a lot of bad because things were just declining quickly for him, unfortunately. And he he took those frustrations, from my understanding, uh, out on a, a lot of people that weren't deserving and people that were trying to help him. I mean, look at Alfredson, right? He he wanted to sign that extension. Eugene Melnick says, no, uh, we're going to get it my way. And then Alfie says, okay, I can't agree with your way. I'm heading to Detroit. Okay, whatever. That bridge is burnt. And then Alfie says, no, I live in Ottawa. This The Ottawa centers are such a part of my life. I want to come back, but I want to do it on a not so much basis with Melnick, right? Yeah, limited communication with Melnick was a part of his contract to get and back with the center. Even still, with those in place, Ross, he couldn't handle it because yeah. things were just so bad. And then you look at Chris Phillips, another guy. He played his entire career with the Auto Centers. His numbers in the rafters, and all he wants to do is charity work. Charity. I, Chris Phillips isn't trying to grow his portfolio. He's not trying to get more money. He's not uh, not even trying to be in the hockey ops. He's literally exactly. trying to do charity. Literally just trying to do the right thing for the community and he couldn't even have himself in that situation connected with the senators. And you talked about it. There's lots of things they didn't put in that article. How about the the absolute debacle that was the Sens Foundation before and uh we don't need to get into all that, but if you, you're not aware of that situation, do your research and it will blow your mind what was happening with that charity. And it, it wasn't much charity going on, I can tell you that. So it's it's just a reflection that, you know, we, we want to res- respect him and his family, but at the same time, real journalism doesn't, you don't put lipstick on a pig with real journalism. You have to report things truthfully. You have to do your due diligences, get uh, firsthand reports, get comments from all over. Like I, if, if you're asking me, like Ross, we both went to journalism school. This, this is how you conduct yourself because you can't be buddy buddy with the owner all the time. You can't be worried about getting access cut off. You need to report the facts, especially when there's things like terrible emails being sent to people, people not getting paid, people being like that uh, poor Ukraine guy was basically blackmailed when yeah. all he was doing was was trying to help Eugene. If, like if, if uh, all the reports are true, which I believe they are. So there was a lot of flaws that uh, that come along with Eugene Melnick. And for people saying it's uh, it's brutal that his daughters have to read this. You got it. Like his daughters are young, but they're at an age where they have to be aware at at some extent. They have of the what's internet going on. It's, it's exactly. not that. I mean, you can you can be raised in Barbados and you can go to boarding school in Canada, but the internet's everywhere, and it's not that hard to figure exactly. out. Hell, um, I don't know. I, I believe it was Olivia, the older one, but one of the daughters interned for Worked multiple there. years, yeah. and I'm sure that employees kept away from them in that standpoint, but they had to see how the day-to-day operations ran. Like Mm -hmm. it it can't be. And you know what? To finish off with a glimmer of hope, but before we do that, I do want to mention the the crazy the most in wildest part for me is how much it well, first, you mentioned Daniel Alfredson. How about Eugene Melnick wanting to triple the price for the game of Daniel Alfredson's return? Yeah, that, that is mind-blowing, especially at a time when uh, the ticket sales weren't exactly skyrocketing. So you should have just been like, okay, Alfredson's coming back, but hey, at least we're going to sell the place out. And he's like, no, I want to spite Alfredson, and I don't care about selling the place out. The less people that come, the better. Like that, yeah, not not a great look. And again, that's just him lashing out, right? 
Yeah, hundred percent. I'd recommend everyone read this article with the Athletic, no matter how you feel about it. And Ian is taking some hits on it, but I stand with them for for having this published. And I yep. do believe this Agreed. is more of a a Katie Strang article than anything else. If you've known her work in the past, and she's actually uncovered like a lot of like this isn't sexual assault by any means, but she's like uncovered a lot of things when in the gymnastics world and whatnot. And you know what? That's journalism. She's finding the truth and people are going to be like, well, you guys just shit talk all the time. Yeah. We're just having fun on a podcast. So um, (laughs) no matter if anyone says we're trying to be professional or not, which I think has been said about us recently, we're just two guys trying to have some fun, create some laughs and make it a little bit better to be an Ottawa Senators fan. We'll move on with a little bit of positivity after I tell you a word. And this is positivity from the article and some hope for the Senators going mm-hmm. forward. I'll tell you that after a word from our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net has you covered for more, more odds, props, and lines than ever before. Basketball season, full swing. I love this play-in tournament. One game, you're in or you're out. So that will continue on Friday. So go to BetOnline.net and make those games even more interesting for yourself, I told you about my Toronto Blue Jays bet. Well, money line hit last night. One and a half line hit last night. Vladdy Guerrero home run hit. I should have bet two home runs. Should have bet three home runs. That guy's a wagon. BetOnline.net. Go have your say right now. Sends are in Boston tonight. Well, I probably stay away from that one. But BetOnline.net has you covered with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. It's BetOnline where the game starts. All right, Pilsy. So before we move on from this uh, piece on Eugene Melnick, I do want to go back to the vendors. The The community is what makes the hockey team what it is. And everyone in the community is a hardworking guy, whether you're a public servant with the government or you're just trying to make ends meet at your workplace. And a lot of the businesses have stayed away from the Ottawa Senators because Contracts don't seem to be contracts with the Senators. People in the article saying that they didn't know when they were getting paid or how much they were getting paid. It was all at the drop of a dime, whatever Mr. Melnick was feeling on that day. But since in the last two weeks, one specific source says they were paid in full for a sponsored deal from 2019-2020. So hopefully that trend continues because it would go a long way to bridge this gap between the organization and the community that it calls home. And that's the thing, right? Like fans, especially people that live in Ottawa, they're not dumb. Like they know what's going on in the community. Like you said, people talk. And why do you think it wasn't just the fact that the success of the on-ice product was dwindling? And I say that generously, it was downright terrible um it was the fact that people in the community didn't feel like the ottawa senators were contributing positively to the rest of the community i mean when you don't pay your vendors on time when it's people that are trying to make a living supporting you as a team in their community it it really sends shockwaves through throughout everyone and you don't feel like supporting you don't feel like funding a team that doesn't stick to its word and hold out on or uh, hold up contract agreements. So I, I don't blame people at all for how they felt. And it's good to know that to switch positively, like you said, it's good to know that those things are starting to look back and bridges are trying to be mended here. What would you say to people who are disgusted that this article came out? I mean, I think we kind of covered it. It's, it's the fact that journalism isn't like, it's not trying to be your friend type thing. 
Well, and it's just, it's not meant to be put on social media and give you a smile all the time, right? Like it's not meant to be fun stories and heartwarming. Like journalism is reporting the reality of situations as best and unbiased as you can. And when you have so many uh, sources, I, I, I think that proves that they did their due diligences and you can say whatever you want about the timing and it's disrespectful for the family, but I, I think it was it was put best like, yeah, if you, if you don't want your daughters to read about these horrible things you've done, don't do those horrible things. Brent Wallace chiming in on Twitter saying this is only a piece. Yeah, that's the tip of the iceberg, I bet, which is crazy. Crazy to think. I'm curious how the senators will handle this uh, in the article. Just to finish off, I know we've gone way longer. Never a dull day, man. Honestly, we do have two games to get to, a recap and a preview. Will Matthew Joseph play tonight we're waiting on dj smith to give us an update he took a big hit from mo cider yeah at the end of the game against detroit so how will that affect the lines if it does we will get to all that but pilsy when you look at this as a whole i'm just i'm just thinking this is almost that it's almost it's always darkest before dawn not only when I'm looking at the Senators' decor, but from an organizational perspective as well, where it, it it seems like once you get, it's almost like you can't heal before the truth is all out in the open. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now, truth the, will set you free. The tr- <laughs> With that, let's get into the Belleville Senators, who got a one nothing win over the who they play? Not Rockford. Hartford, the Wolfpack. And oh Ross, I, I did a little uh, thinking about that. You know how I said it's weird how they're called the Wolfpack? Yes. There's already a team in the AHL, the Chicago Wolves. So Dang. I don't know who came first or who had to switch or, or what happened there. But from that standpoint, it makes sense. It's uh, just just something weird I thought of. But I got to the bottom of it. Investigative journalism, Ross. There you go. <laughs> the thread continues of investigative journalism. I do want to touch on a couple notes from this game. But I did say I would get to the results from our poll on Twitter. So I should get to that, right? And we're going to try something new here. So if there's a little technical glitch, you can follow us on YouTube and see just how stupid I'm making myself look right now. However, this could go a long way to helping um, the contents of the show. So you guys can see right now the screen here. Knowing The Athletic has been working on this article for years, when should it have been published? 75% say now is fine. 11% 11% are saying in a year. I think that would probably include the offseason as well, Pillsy. Only 8% say only should have been put out if and when he was alive. And 5% say never. Now, I vehemently disagree with that last one. What are your thoughts on these results? I, I voted for in a year slash offseason like like you talked about. Um, but for the people that say say never that's exactly it's it's what we're talking about right like you don't get to hide all the the negative things you've done in your life and sweep them under the rug just because you're no longer alive like it these things are very real and there's still a lot of things pending that Eugene Malik did like there's countless lawsuits countless a billion dollar lawsuit with uh, yeah countless contracts that still need to be paid and uh finalized like there are a lot of things that are still happening, regardless of whether he's alive or or not. So I think the people that said never, I, I don't I don't agree with that, and uh, that's that's fine. You, you get your opinion. That's why we we can talk about it. But I I think it was a good job by both Katie Strang and Ian Mendez, and it ain't always pretty. 
No, it certainly is not. Okay, we did get news from DJ Smith. Perfect time to actually move on from this. And again, stick taps to Ian Mendez, stick taps to Katie Strand. I believe Dan Robson is the third um, author on title. I just want to give credit, Dan Robson, exactly. Okay. All right. And if you want to hear more from Ian Mendez, but about a more, I was going to say Different happier, <laughs> but more pressing topic because Josh Norris is needing a new contract that will be exclusively available on the Locked On Senators YouTube channel. So go check it out right there. Where Or, you know, you can go listen to yesterday's Locked On Senators where we had a little sneak preview of it. So we're trying to diversify the content a little bit, spread some out to our YouTube. We do have an interview coming up as well tomorrow. So oh, yeah. stay tuned for all that. But Pilsy, one nothing, huge victory yes. for Philip Gustafson. Andrew Agazino scores the only goal of the game. And he does it in like the first five minutes. So that was great to see them jump out to an early lead like they did in the last game. But this time, hold it all the way through. Ross, I needed this because uh, I think it was it was pretty clear that most Sens fans have Sogard ahead of Gus right now. And, you know, Gus hadn't really done anything to prove them otherwise. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with them and uh, I respect that opinion. But... Then him. And what did I say? I said, we need to see some consistency and we need to see Gus show that he can keep his team in a game in clutch moments and he can be the guy. You mentioned it. They go up one nothing. He shuts the door. And sure, 25 saves. That's not exactly like a, a massive amount, but still 100, 100% save percentage. I'll take that. Zero, zero, zero goals against average. That sounds good to me. And that was a big game for them. Unfortunately, the out-of-town scoreboard was literally the worst thing possible. A uh, three-point game where the team, uh, the Sens are trying to jump, ends up getting the two points, and Laval uh, gets uh, one point there, so, so not great. And the Belleville Senators are still outside looking in despite that win, but that was a big confidence booster for Philip Gustafson, and I think it's going to go a long way. And you don't have to wait long for him to get another chance as uh, they're up against, I believe, the Rochester America. Yeah, yes. Rochester on Friday. Friday night. That is a huge game because Rochester got two points in overtime. So Laval gets a point as well after the win. Everyone's feeling good. They probably went into the locker room threw on the last five minutes of that, of that game. And they wake up right where they left off yesterday outside of the playoffs in the North division. They've got seven games remaining. All of them are against the rivals from this division. And, Rochester's the team 0.004% higher than them in the standings. So you really, really need to get two points here against the Americans on Friday night. And that will begin a busy stretch for them. Um, Or wait, I believe it's a busy weekend. And then they've got a little bit of time off where it's a little bit less. They play Friday at Rochester. They play Saturday against Utica. Monday at home to Laval. Then Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, never mind. They are going fast and furious throughout this last stretch. So they need these points bad, especially when you're playing on the road against the best team in the division in the second half of this back-to-back. So we'll continue to follow this, but Pilsy, it is a Senators game day, and we have news coming out from DJ Smith. So Parker Kelly's playing on the first line tonight. Legit? Legit. Parker Kelly will go up on the first line. He is a worker, and we'll see what he can do up there. That's such a DJ Smith move. Oh, my God. Um, That surprises me because I thought if Joseph comes out of the lineup, then it's 
pretty easy fix. You just put Batherson back up there and you bump Brown back up to the second line. And then you keep Kelly on the third line where he was. But putting Kelly up there is very interesting now. Maybe that's something to do with uh, you got uh, Brad Marchand on the top line and maybe you don't want Brady to have to take uh, all the assignment of dealing with a guy like him on that top line. And sometimes it works. Like think I always think back to Zach Hyman with the Leafs, right? Like he was so successful there because you think Mitch, you think Mitch Marner is going to go into the corner for a, a puck battle. Hell no. You think Austin Matthews is going to leave the slot to try to get a loose puck? No, it's not happening. But I'm not saying Brady and Norris are are like that. But sometimes you just need a guy that has no problem bringing his hard hat and his lunch pail and going to work in the dirty areas. And Parker Kelly has shown time and time again he's more than willing to do that. So I don't hate it. And uh, I I guess uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's an interesting move. That's for sure, though. Yeah, 100%. So we will see how that works out. We'll get to the Sens line, our locked on player, or keys to victory, but it's a revenge game for three Boston Bruins, all different eras of Ottawa Senators. Did any of them ever Even play four, together? Four, Ross, four. Who's the fourth? Josh got- Brown, Curtis Lazar, Nick Felino, Mike Riley. Mike Riley, there you go. So all four of them, how many of them would have played together? Riley and Josh Brown oh, last Those are the season. only two. Oh, no, Felino and Lazar didn't play. Yeah, no. that's it. Yeah, that's it. All right, well, here's the Boston Bruins lines. If you're watching on YouTube, we've pulled them up there. The top line doesn't have the same impact when David Pasternak's out of the lineup. Pasternak uh, was the guy who scored the overtime game-winning goal the last time these two teams played. But tonight it's going to be Bergeron between Marchand and Jake DeBrusque. The second line. Howla, Hall, and Froden. Not sure how he got up to a top six role. I guess a injury replacement for David Pasternak. Third line, Charlie Coyle between Thomas Nosek and uh, Smith as well. And then McLaughlin is centering Felino and Lazar on the fourth line. On defense, I almost said Morgan. Mike, don't call me Morgan Riley, with Charlie McAvoy. Grizzlick with Josh Brown. Derek Forbort with Connor Clifton. And the starting goalie is expected to be Linus Olmark. He's 23-10-2 on the season with a 259 goals against and a 912 save percentage. Boston has won six of their last 10. They're 45-23-5 on the season. Yeah, this is a good Boston Bruins team. And uh, Ross, for, for us not being Bruins fans, being like, what the heck is this Froden guy doing in the top six? And sort of Bruins fans are doing the same, being like, Kelly? Kelly who? So... That'll, that'll happen when you're down the stretch here and you only get uh, so many uh, call-ups, right? And injuries are happening. And especially if you're the Bruins, you're not taking any chances putting Pasternak in games that uh, he's, he's not 100% healthy for. If Are we going to our lookout players here? Yeah, I was just going to say Jesper Froden. And now knowing that, he's going to score his first NHL goal oh tonight. Oh my God. Yeah, it's of his course. sixth game. He's got 34 points in 49 games in Providence. It's his first year that he'd been playing in the Swedish Hockey League the last two years. Before that, undrafted, 27 years old. So, so similar yeah. to Parker Kelly, undrafted. Uh, yeah, interesting. a little bit older, but at the same time, yeah, I'm going to look out for a goal against from Jesper Froden. <laughs> How about you? What's your lookout player? Oh, that's uh, that's terrible. My lookout player is going to be uh, Jake DeBrusque. Since wanting a trade and then extending at the trade deadline, he's been on fire. 
11 games, he has 10 points, and there was a stretch where he had five consecutive games with goals and had six goals in that stretch. So Jake DeBrusque, especially without Pasta, he's probably thinking, hey, maybe I will stay in Boston here because I'm getting to play with Brad Marchand and uh, Patrice Bergeron on the top line, and I'm lighting it up here. So I'm going to be looking out for him because he clearly has shown that uh, he, he... he can make it work in Boston and it's better for them to have figured out a contract than trade him. Yeah, 100%. When I'm looking at this Boston Bruins team, though, I'm looking at a team that's lost three of their last four games. They haven't won in regulation in their last six. And that was the win against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Although when they were winning, they were winning almost every game. So even if I take that overtime win and loss into account, they had a stretch there where they hadn't lost back-to-back games since February 10th. And you know how they broke that two-game skid or three out of four? A 2 nothing win over the Ottawa yep. Senators. So when you're looking, and they actually beat Ottawa three games later, the overtime game I mentioned where Pasternak scored. So if you go back to their last 26 games, Pilsy, 27 games, this team is 19-5-2. and two. They're, uh, they're pressing to be in that top good. three in the Atlantic. Nobody wants to be that wild card team who has to play either Florida or Carolina. So you're looking at a team that still has a lot to play for here down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause uh playoff position, like the, the teams are set in stone essentially in the East, but you're jockeying for position to play against different opponents and for that home ice advantage. So big points on the line for the Bruins here. Which former Senator is most likely to be a reason why Boston wins this game? Uh, I gotta be Mike Riley playing on the top pair, right? Although, you know what? For for all the flack Curtis Lazar got as a as a senator, I actually like the kid, and I felt hey, great smile. That's what we always talk about. I can't <laughs> score, but great smile. For all the crap he went through, he always had a good attitude, and he he went from Ottawa to Calgary to Buffalo, and now he's in Boston, and I think he's a great fourth-line player, so I'm going to be watching him too, and especially the Lazar moment that I'll always remember is you were at the game, the Chris Phillips uh, retirement game, where he was the only uh, Buffalo player that went out and kind of gave uh, Phillips stick taps and stuff, and he stayed out for the whole thing, so classy guy, so I'm still rooting for Curtis Lazar. Yeah, eight goals, seven assists, 15 points for Curtis Lazar on the season. You know that Mike Riley has twice as many goals as Nick Foligno? (laughs) Wow, and that's a guy that scored zero goals in his time with the Sens. Wow, I forgot about that. Yeah, so 15 points for Riley, only 12 for Foligno. Foligno has two goals in 55 games. Talk about a fall from grace. It's almost like that blue and white water he was drinking in Toronto. So he scored two goals since being traded from the Columbus Blue Jackets, Pilsy. And he was traded for a first-round pick, and he got a nice contract for the Bruins. I think it was like two years at three and a half per or something. Yep. Like, sheesh. And the I mean, fit, on paper, it looks like a fit, the way definitely. he plays the game. And uh, in that locker room, right? Like, Felino is a guy that uh, is well-respected around the league. He was a captain in Columbus for years, so you think he would fit right in there. So, you know what? Maybe it's more of uh, he's a glue guy rather than putting points up these days, but still, that's, that's a big downward spiral for him uh, points production-wise. All right, from former Senators to the current squad, here's the projected lines tonight for the Senators. And this could change a little bit. Tierney will tell you where he was, and you know he could end up being the fourth-line center. DJ's going to have some coaching to do tonight in-game as well with this lineup. The top line is Josh Norris between Brady Kachuk and Parker Kelly. 
The second line is Tim Stutzla between Alex Formanton, who will be going no bucket, 101st NHL game, alongside Drake Batherson. I thought that line was fantastic the other night. The third line is Colin White between Chris Tierney and Connor Brown. And the fourth line is Dylan Gambrell between Gaudette and Austin Watson. On defense, no changes. Brandstrom and Zub, Delzato and Hamannick, and Nick Holden with Nikita Zaitsev. Anton Forsberg's your starting goalie. 18, 16, and 3 with a 275 goals against and a 919 save percentage. What are your thoughts on Parker Kelly? We mentioned putting him up on the top line. For me, I like that they kept Stutzla, Formanton, and Batherson together. Yep. The team, the the line scored three out of the four goals, and albeit two empty netters, but I thought they pushed the pace, and I want to see more chemistry develop between Timmy and, and Batherson. Yeah, I really thought if if it's uh you know let's say Matthew Joseph is only out for one game or something, then you would just put Batherson up there. But who knows? Maybe it's a longer injury than we're aware of, and you want to keep that second line chemistry going because. Formanton needs a boost here. Like it, it, he's gone cold here, and we want to keep that chemistry between Stutzla and Batherson going uh, for good momentum into next season. So my only question, and this would be a DJ Smith move as well. Austin Watson has five goals in his last seven games. Yeah. Would this not be an opportunity to elevate him into that role at least to start the game a little? Best players play. Well, he's got, <laughs> like I said, five goals in seven. Seems like this would be an opportunity to move him up, but. I guess it's more looking to the future if you are going to give Parker Kelly that chance. And Ross, he's one of the few guys that can get Norris to not shoot on an opportunity and pass wide open for a great chance. So, hey, yeah, I I wouldn't uh, be too upset if they tried that as well. Uh, And just another quick note, thank God Zub is back. Like, I thought, I actually thought Mete played a decent game and he had a lot of energy and his skating skills were on display and he was joining the rush, but... This team, without Shabbat, they need Zub badly, especially up against the Boston Bruins team. That injured list would make a pretty good line, eh? Pinto between oh Joseph God. and Ennis with Shabbat and Sanderson on the back end and Murray in goal. Holy, yeah. When you put it that way, that is pretty funny. Wow. What's your key to victory for the Ottawa Senators? My key to victory is try try to outmuscle the Boston Bruins. I know that sounds like a tough thing to do. You're going up against the big bad Bruins, but you're not going to outtown them here. Let even without David Pasternak, like the top six for the Bruins is pretty solid. I mean, Taylor Hall is such a sneaky guy in there. Like he doesn't get talked about a lot, but he's really fit in nicely there in a kind of downgraded role than what he was uh, needed to do in Arizona and in uh, where did he go? After Arizona, Buffalo, yeah, Buffalo. Jeez, that was a weird one. Um, so this team has a lot of firepower and they can still beat you offensively. So Parker Kelly, he usually averages like seven hits with 10 minutes of ice time. Let's see what he can do on a top line. Austin Watson, sure, you're a goal scorer now, but he's still he's still going to throw the body around. And then you got uh, Travis Hamnick, Leems Martians guy. Let's see him rough up Josh Brown on uh, on that uh, side of the battle. So I want the Sens to play a physical game here, and I think that's what DJ Smith is leaning towards here as well. The Boston Bruins set themselves up for success when it comes to shots. And we know this has been a a, a thread since the year. Remember they there's that fake photo of them raising the banner for best Corsi of 2017 <laughs> um, when, when Ottawa beat them in the playoffs there. But you look at it, they are... Second in the league for most shots on goal. They take 36 shots every game. Pasta has 300 shots. 
That's insanity. <laughs> Not only are they second in the league in shots for, but they allow the third fewest shots. So that's a recipe for success. Take the most and allow the fewest. So if you're Ottawa, just try get to hockey. do anything to get close to the crease, the home plate area, get pucks on net, and trust the willingness to go into the dirty areas and try to poke in some ugly goals here. Linus Olmark's a good goalie, but a lot of what he does is blocking. So you're hoping that the pucks hit him and drop, and as he's trying to go and reach them, boom, go down. Not as much of a reacting goalie as uh, Swayman, for example, or a guy like Forsberg. So I'm interested to see how the Senators handle this. This is going to be the toughest test they've faced in a little while. Eh? Like Nashville's good. The they Rangers, though. Yeah, the Rangers, I guess. That's fair. But the Rangers, I didn't think they even played their best game against Ottawa, and they still They didn't managed have to. to. No, <laughs> yeah. they didn't really have to. But this is, okay, another tough test. Yes, the Rangers, you're right. That is a fair statement. Although, yeah, I don't think the Senators really played the their best uh, in that one either. But, nope. yeah, Boston's always a tough matchup for Ottawa. I feel like they haven't had a whole lot of regular season success in that building, including Pasternak getting the, the OT game winner in the last meeting. It's going to be a fun one tonight. We'll have the postcast afterwards. At Spoke Z might even join us. A hilarious Twitter account, big Boston guy, but he loves getting sent. So we'll try to send some on the postcast. You can follow the postcast on our YouTube page. We go live about 10 minutes after each and every Ottawa Senators game for the remainder of the year. Haven't missed a game since December 1st, which is shocking if not impressive uh, for <laughs> us as well. Uh, follow the show on Twitter as well, at Send Central, and on Instagram, LockedOn.Senators. The road to 1,000 there continues. And stay tuned for tomorrow's Locked On Senators. We're about to chat with Craig Button about his top 10 Sens prospects and get an overall sense of how he thinks the Senators' pool ranks among others. But for today, we say goodbye. Again, never a dull day. Go read that article. I think hopefully it, it adds a layer of closure to the, the people who had to work under this regime and knowing that it, things could get better because that was the story that overwhelmingly caught my attention. Like 9%, I believe, would recommend their, their friends and family to work at the, the Ottawa Senators. But the people that did it, did it because they loved the city and they loved the team just like we do and just like you do listening to today. So hopefully it is almost always darkest before dawn and everyone can turn the page and move on. For today, though, we say goodbye. We'll chat in the postcast. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators Podcast, your team every day. <laughs>